Bokatov. Good morning, listeners. This is Ask Your Jewish Mother, and I'm Erica Holman, your Jewish mom. Today, we will talk about anxiety, particularly in light of the fact that people nowadays are inclined to tell us that they have anxiety. You might be in a group of people having a conversation and people will tell you up front, oh, I have anxiety disorder, I have depression and anxiety. People even share this information at work. So recently, um, an employee in front of a large group said, well, I have anxiety, I have anxiety. And Another person in the group said, oh, you know, hey, um, I have some training. I could help you with that. If you know you have anxiety, when you have this feeling come over you, just say to yourself, that's anxiety. It'll pass. And then do some breathing exercises. Well, the employee who claims to have such debilitating anxiety that it can be shared with a room full of people took the advice in a rather bad manner. So my suggestion to the employee offering assistance is, you know, keep it to yourself. Say it privately. Um, You have good intentions to help the other person, but although they felt comfortable sharing their problem, They had no interest in problem solving in a group. So just, I I think when people share that they have anxiety, depression, mental health issues, it's kind of one of those things where we might say, well, isn't that interesting? Okay, you know, note it to yourself quietly. So let's talk about anxiety. I think people should always go to their physician first. You should talk to your physician. You should see a psychiatrist. You should have a licensed counselor, social worker, a licensed professional helping you. Um, I don't think medication is always the way to go with anxiety, but I certainly believe it's incredibly helpful. So you do want to go get a physical. You want to talk to your physician. Anything that we talk about as far as mental health or physical health goes, I want to just make sure everyone understands I'm not ever suggesting that you would go it alone. You should see your physician, talk to your therapist, seeing a licensed therapist, of course, is what I would recommend. Um, But let's get into anxiety. Anxiety can be crippling, and we've seen people really suffer. And there's a lot of different types of anxiety. Um, People have social anxiety, they have phobias, they have general anxiety disorder, there's OCD, there's PTSD. So really, for our conversation's sake today, I'm talking more toward just general anxiety disorder. And it can be very distressing. Years ago, I received some bad news. And when I received the bad news, my hands instantly went numb. That's a sign of anxiety. So are signs such as 
feeling like there's a lump in your throat that you can't swallow or feeling like you're really full and you can't breathe all the way. Now, just because these might be some physical signs of anxiety doesn't mean that you should just say to yourself, well, that's anxiety and I'm just going to deal with it as anxiety. That's why you should go see your doctor. These are physical manifestations of anxiety, but there are many, many, many diseases that cause your hands to go numb, that make you feel like you can't swallow, that make you feel like you have a lump in your throat. So you always want to go to your physician. Now let's talk about a few different things. When we look at anxiety, you you can make some level of comfort for yourself and move away from having some feelings of anxiety. It takes a little bit of work, but it's not insurmountable. So one thing to think about is making changes on the atomic level. Atomic changes. That means they're tiny, tiny changes. So what's something that you already do every day that you have control over? Or that you, maybe you don't have total control over it, but it's breathing, right? You're going to breathe. So one thing that can help you have some relief from anxiety is breathing through your nose. So I want you to sit, sit there right now and pull yourself up so you've got nice posture. And then take some breaths in and out through your nose. Count of three in through your nose. Count of three out through your nose. When you're taking the breaths in through your nose, I want you to try to fill your belly with the breath. So you pull the air in. You can feel it hitting the back of your throat, almost like a deep yoga breath. You feel it going down your body, filling your stomach. And when you exhale, you're whooshing it out from your stomach, up, up your body, and out through your nose. For the sake of um, giving you the example, I'm doing exaggerated breaths. You don't have to sound like that. And if you're sitting at your desk at work or you're at work, no one knows that you're practicing nose breathing. The reason that nose breathing is thought to be so helpful is because the air is being filtered as it's coming into your body. And also when you breathe through your nose, you are maybe forced to take a little bit of a deeper breath. So in some ways it almost might micro, uh, on a micro level, cause your posture to improve ever so slightly. So in through your nose, out through your mouth. When we breathe through, or in and out through your nose, You can also breathe in through your nose and out through your mouth, and I'll show you a technique in a moment about that. But the thought also is when we breathe in and out of our mouth, we might be taking shallower breaths. And those shallow breaths, when you think about it, what does it feel like when you have panic and anxiety? You, you might feel your heart pounding. You might feel like you're out of breath. You, you might feel like you just ran. 
So in and out through your nose slows that process down, helps you reorder your thinking. It's really hard to hang on to the feeling of anxiety while you are focusing on your breath. So that's just a little tip if you're in a meeting, if you're someplace upsetting you, something's happening, just reorient yourself for a moment and breathe in through your nose. Out through your nose. All right, let's say that you're having a rough day. And your rough day is really increasing your feelings of anxiety. So what I'd like you to think about is a delicious slice of pizza. Now, I did get this technique from Amy Morin, who writes, uh, who has a podcast and has a book about mentally strong people. So I do want to be quite upfront about that. But I love it because it's great for kids and it's great for adults. So you're having a rough day. You're feeling a lot of anxiety. You're going to think about a beautiful slice of pizza that you love, right? You're going to breathe in to the count of three with your nose. You're going to smell that pizza. Smells great. You're going to blow on the pizza to cool it off to a count of three. You're going to do it again. You're going to smell the pizza again. Blow on the pizza to the count of three through your mouth. Do it one more time. In through your nose to smell the pizza. Blow on the pizza to cool it to the count of three. When you're feeling stressed out, worried about things, you can do the pizza exercise and people won't know what you're doing. You can do it. You don't have to do the exaggerated breathing like I am, although that certainly feels good if you're in a quiet space and you're not around anyone. But if you're around people, you can just breathe in through your nose and then breathe out through your mouth to blow on the pizza. Do that three times. You'll feel better almost immediately. Now, some other things to think about when we are working on anxiety is if you work with a therapist, you can have cognitive behavioral therapy, rational emotive therapy. These are really ideas and techniques of recognizing the trigger, what's going on, what are you going to do about it, and what's the outcome. And there's a lot of work when you're using these techniques to really think about your coping skills, recording what your thoughts and actions are, so being very self-aware. And this doesn't mean that you have to be self-aware 24 hours a day because that's not going to be realistic. But again, part of the human existence is that we know what we're doing sometimes or we know what we've experienced. And so you can go back and look at those events of the day and record them, record what you felt, what you were thinking, and what you're going to do about it. There's also dialectic behavioral therapy. This has been used a lot um, for people who have what's called borderline personality disorder. And when we look at dialectic behavioral therapy, it's really a process of examining what might be contradictory ideas, and then you're combining acceptance and change at the same time. So it's very similar in some ways to CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, 
it's really asking you to be more mindful about what's happening and enabling you to recognize and understand what you're thinking about and how they affect your actions. Exposure therapy might be something else a therapist would work on with you, and it's where you're gradually exposed to things in a safe situation that might be your triggers. So this is this is really a process. If you're afraid of dogs, you might start in a situation where you think about small, cute animals, and then you might be introduced to, okay, maybe there's a bunny rabbit, and then maybe there's a cat, and then you're okay with those two, and now we're going to bring in a, a puppy. Um, so you're, you're really working on eliminating the actual fear and usually we start with visual activities for exposure therapy your therapist might also use group therapy now an area of particular interest for me is with hypnosis and I do find that me personally some level of self-hypnosis and controlling my response to what might otherwise make me feel anxious is really helpful. So with hypnosis, your therapist or your hypnotherapist might help you get into a very relaxed state through a guided imagery or or you might do a muscle relaxation technique and that'll open you up to being receptive to to looking at your triggers in a different manner. And then you'll be given um, ideas for how to handle your feelings of anxiety. So right now, let's work on a self-guided imagery exercise that you can come back to when you have feelings of anxiety. So I'd like you to get centered and get comfortable with yourself. You might be sitting down, you might be lying down. I want you to first get into a comfortable position and think about your breathing. So we're going to breathe in through our noses for a count of three, out through our nose for a count of three, in through our nose, count of three, out through our nose for a count of three. One more time. Breathe in through your nose for a count of three. Exhale through your nose for a count of three. I want you to find yourself in a comfortable place thinking about a beach it's a perfect beach it produces no feelings of worry or concern for you the waves are coming in they're going out as the waves come in you breathe in when the wave goes out you breathe out the waves are coming in and out and you're feeling very good very relaxed right now what I want you to think about is as the waves come in 
can leave any worries at the shoreline and they'll go out. Your breathing is very comfortable. You might be breathing in through your nose and out through your mouth. You can be breathing in through your nose, out through your nose. Whatever is comfortable for you as the waves come in and go out. The waves come in and go out. You're feeling deeply, deeply comfortable. You're feeling relaxed. Thoughts are coming to you, but that's okay. Just push them away. Push them away. Think about the water. You're feeling very good right now. And what I want you to think about is how it feels when your anxiety comes upon you. Let's imagine that your anxiety is hitting you right now. It's not actually going to affect you right now because you're focused on the waves coming in and going out. You're thinking about that sensation of what it feels like when the anxiety comes. And what I want you to say to yourself is, isn't that interesting? This is a feeling of anxiety, and I choose to take control over it. And the waves come in, and the waves go out. Isn't this interesting? I have some control over this sensation of anxiety. It's anxiety, and I felt it, and I know what that feels like. And I'm looking at it now on a deeper level. And you're watching the waves go in and go out. In and out. And you're feeling so good right now. And your anxiety is coming in and out. Oh, you can let it go. Let it go. And when it comes to you during the day and you can feel the sensation of anxiety, I want you to remember the waves. Think of your breathing and say to yourself, Oh, isn't that interesting? That's my anxiety. That's my anxiety talking to me. And that's part of me. It doesn't serve a purpose right now, but I have it, and it's there, and I can just look at it. And when you're ready, I want you to release that anxiety. You can let it go into the water. The beach is always here, but you can throw it out. It's going to be there. It's going to wash up on the shore. That's part of your life. It's just there. It's interesting. I want you to just breathe. I want you to think about things that you like. Other thoughts may come to you. Just push them away. Let them go into the water. They'll always be there. This is your private beach. 
It'll come back if you need it, and you can pick it up. Otherwise, release the sensation. just there. Push it away. It doesn't matter. If it doesn't serve a purpose, you don't need it right now. self-guided imagery and hypnosis can be something that you and your therapist might work on again you're always going back to your licensed therapist and your medical doctor the other things to be thinking about might be you have a conversation with your physician about medications some people don't want to take medications that's fine, but I suggest that with your physician, you might look at a risk-benefit analysis. Maybe with your doctor's supervision, you might benefit from a micro-hit of an anxiolytic or an anti-anxiety medication. Again, that's a personal conversation to have with your physician. Of course, there are also off-label medications, and some people also like to use things like CBD oil, again, uh, with your physician knowing what you're doing because potentially um, CBD oil could interact with medications, and I'm not a physician, so I'm not going to pretend that I know anything about what it might do, but those are thoughts for you to talk about with your physician. There are other ways to treat anxiety without medication, and you can talk with your physician about those or talk to your licensed therapist about other things. Some other things that you can do that will help you potentially feel better are include, include things like self-help. Maybe you'll read a book. Maybe you'll start uh, journaling. Maybe you'll um, do other things that might make you feel better. Definitely exercise is known to reduce feelings of anxiety because it increases your body's use of endorphins. And endorphins are hormones that improve your mood. Also, when you're exercising... If you're moving your body in a moderate or vigorous manner, it's hard to feel, simultaneously feel anxiety and the benefit of exercise. So it's hard to hold on to those two things at the same time. Um, So exercise is always something at your level and something to talk about with your physician in case you have any existing health issues. Diet and nutrition. I personally think there's a lot involved with 
people's diets and sensations of anxiety because people eat a lot of short-acting or processed carbohydrates that hit your bloodstream or hit your body really quickly and they push your blood sugar up and when your blood sugar goes up and you're feeling excited um that I, I think that that can affect people. I, that's just my preference. That's my belief. But again, that's something to talk about with your physician. Diet and nutrition doesn't mean that suddenly you go from eating all processed food to being, you know, organic. You know, I'm eating kale every day. But again, look at your atomic habits, little tiny habits and changes that you can use to improve how you eat. If we look at food for what it is, it's there to nurture us, to keep us healthy versus being good and bad, being a treat. Um, I think that having a different relationship with food can be helpful when we're working on anxiety and depression. So look at your diet. What is it that you go to when you're feeling good or bad when you're having a great experience and there's more to food than just eating having the family dining experience if you don't have a family maybe you have a work family or a friend family sharing meals with people can be not only meaningful in the moment but you might have conversations that can increase your mood and affect for the week that follows for days that follow so looking at food in a, in a way that it doesn't rule your life that you have a healthy relationship with it and you look at what it brings you um, food should bring you satiety so you're satisfied with what you're eating and how you're eating and also it can be meaningful to prepare a meal with people. There's research that shows that doing active things with people that you like or love is really a great way to cement the relationship. So preparing a meal with someone you like or love can be very meaningful. So using food for multiple um, points of satisfaction The other thing to think about that I, of course, like is meditation and mindfulness. People think that meditation is, you know, sitting in this rigid posture. We're going to sit and we're just going to clear our minds. We're not going to think about anything. And people always tell me, oh, I, I just have too many thoughts. I can't stop thinking. Well, if you could stop thinking, I would be afraid that you had died. So... Your Jewish mother says, um, I don't want you to stop thinking when you're meditating. Meditation can be a two-minute activity. Now, someone who's really into meditating will tell you that's not enough. But um, I think when you're starting off, there's evidence that even two minutes is helpful. And when you're in this meditative state, just get comfortable. And you're not trying to think of nothing You're sitting or lying in a way that you're comfortable, that you can breathe comfortably. Now, I choose to sit up because if I lie down, I do fall asleep. I put my hands in a almost like a triangle form 
so that my thumbs overlap, my index fingers point down, and then I breathe in through my nose, and I say, I gratefully accept the energy, the thoughts of this day, and when I release my breath, I say, and I release anything I don't need, I gratefully accept the energy and the dynamics of today and I release what I don't need now I'm just saying that in my mind I gratefully accept I'm here whatever you you can say whatever you want I mean what I say might be too woo woo for you but meditation is actually less woo woo than I think a lot of people would consider um it slows your heart rate you can actually learn to control your heart rate and your breathing through meditation so it takes a lot of control takes a lot of self-restraint and as the thoughts are coming to you like oh my goodness i've got to balance the books i've got to go through the financials just okay i'm gonna do that i'm gonna push that away for right now doesn't serve a purpose but think about it later and just go back to whatever your mantra is. You know, it might be, I'm here now for myself. I'm here now for myself. I'm going to focus on my breathing. But meditation can be very helpful when we're working toward releasing our anxiety. The other thing is being mindful of what's happening, what's going on that triggers your sense of anxiety. Some people don't like to think about what makes them anxious, obviously. Um, And again, you, you need to be working with a therapist if your anxiety intrudes upon your life. You really should be working with someone. Um... So being mindful of what's going on around you when you're having the sensation of anxiety can be helpful during the day. Um, Being aware of when your muscles get tight. Now, relaxation techniques also can be used. And these are a little bit different than meditation, although meditation can be relaxing. Um, a relaxing technique, relaxation technique might include things like guided visual imagery, things like that. Of course, there are also herbal supplements that you can use. And again, always talk to your physician because some herbals will interact with medications. And one of my favorite things, one of my favorite sayings is arsenic is natural. So just because something says it's natural doesn't mean it's necessarily healthy for you. But things like chamomile tea, it, you know, that's we, we drink that every day. We're probably pretty safe assuming or guessing that drinking some chamomile tea in the evening is probably not going to interact with your medications. Um, having good sleep hygiene is really helpful if you have anxiety and depression. And one of the things to consider is how much are you looking at your screen right before bed? You might want to decrease your screen time before bed, make a nighttime ritual. I know a lot of people think I'm crazy. They use their phones for their alarm. I've heard it all. 
And I, I'm just going to ask you something. What feels better, having the anxiety or trying something that in the moment might not feel so great because you're really addicted to your phone, which is, could in itself be one of your anxiety triggers. Um, so, so think to yourself, what's the risk benefit of putting your phone across the room and setting your alarm? Put it over there, drink some chamomile tea, read a book, and be done with your phone um, you can, you can leave the ringer on, you can leave the noise, you know, you know, if anyone needs you, they can still text you. You can make it loud enough. It'll wake you up phone calls, whatever. Um, but, but getting off the phone, there's a lot of research right now about social media contributing to feelings of anxiety and depression. So maybe not using social media as much, maybe taking more time in your own head, Having a nighttime routine is really helpful. I also have a morning routine. I personally believe that getting up in the morning, making my bed, not only seals the deal on a great night of sleep, but it sets me up for having another great night of sleep. So I like to have a morning ritual. I get up in the morning, I have a whole ritual of um, Savers. It's from uh, The Morning Miracle by Hal Eldridge. And what Savers is, it stands for silence. So I meditate in the morning. Affirmation. I have a little, I have a little statement about what I want, what my goals are. I typically repeat parts of it while I'm meditating. The V is for visualizing, thinking about what this, what I want, what I see happening, what I need, putting it through my mind's eye. E is for exercise. So in the morning, uh, Hale in the morning miracle says that you should exercise for 20 minutes in the morning. With my schedule, it doesn't really work for me. I'm not totally a morning person, so I don't always hit that 20 minutes. But I do push-ups. I have goals for my push-ups. I do sit-ups. I do plank. I do a few down dogs. Uh, I do move my body for a few minutes at least in the morning. I also do the R. R is for reading. And this is reading for self-improvement or professional development. So I read the Harvard, Harvard Business Review most mornings. Certainly not every morning. I also like the Wall Street Journal. But the idea of the reading is that it's something not just your mind can do reading that you might do. It's not the cheesy novels. My husband makes fun of me because I listen to cheesy mystery novels on my phone. Um, it's something to help you become the best you possible. And then the S is for scribing. And that's where you might write out your daily goals. You might write out your plans. You might, you might journal. So savers. Silence, affirmation, visualization, exercise, reading, and scribing. Now, if you follow the morning miracle, Hale suggests that you get up earlier, you know, an hour earlier than you normally would, so that you can go through the savers. And a lot of you might be thinking, wow, an hour early, that sounds like a ton, big commitment. But aren't you worth it? Aren't you worth getting up and giving yourself some time? It's time just for you. The other thing to think about when we're looking at anxiety is 
What feels good in the moment may not be and probably is not good in the long term. So let's think about this. If you have anxiety and you're drinking alcohol, well, in the moment, the alcohol might depress how you're feeling. You might not be feeling so anxious because you've had a couple beers or whatever, a couple cocktails. But the problem is the sensation later on from the alcohol acting on your body can mimic feelings of depression. And, and alcohol, it's a depressant. And we know that depression can exacerbate feelings of anxiety. So if it feels good in the moment, it may not be something that's good for the long term. And those are the things to be weighing. And that's why when there are suggestions made or your physician or your therapist makes suggestions, they might be hard to do because in the moment they feel like a hardship. But in the long run, they're going to feel better. It's really best when we're looking at anxiety to not try to go out, I'm going to be a totally better person and I'm going to do all these things. That's probably not going to work out so well. I mean, think of all the New Year's resolutions people make. I'm going to give up drinking. I'm not going to swear. I'm going to lose weight. I'm going to become super fit. Okay, you know, three days later, we're not usually working on those kind of goals. So atomic changes are really about changes where your where your function is part of the process, where you force function. So the breathing. Okay, you already breathe. So instead of just breathing mindlessly all day long, spend a couple minutes now and then breathing in and out through your nose. That's an atomic change. That's a tiny, tiny change in something you're already doing. Just like making the bed in the morning. I'm already getting out of bed. I might as well make the bed. There, I've accomplished something. It's a sense of accomplishment. Doing something tiny, you're already getting up. Maybe you already make your bed every day. When we look at anxiety, a lot of people will complain about the anxiety. Anxiety probably started off serving a purpose. It gave you some motivation. It gave you a shot of adrenaline. It did something for you. Anxiety untreated often becomes worse it, because it generalizes. It, it, it starts taking over your life. I'm sure a lot of you have heard the story of little Hans, who this was a, a, Freud, a Freudian study case at the turn of the century. Little Hans was um, became afraid of dogs, and it started from, you know, being afraid of a white mouse, and then then being afraid of the mouse made him afraid of cats, made him afraid of dogs, you know. So when we look at anxiety, it can become so pervasive in our lives, so pervasive, it can ruin all of our day-to-day experiences and if not ruin then certainly cast a dark cloud over what we're doing so make those tiny steps take a small step for yourself today your Jewish mother is telling you go see your physician find a licensed mental health professional a social worker a psychologist a psychiatrist um Someone who has experience with anxiety 
would be the best choice. Make little, little tiny changes for yourself and you'll feel better. If you have any questions, you can always let your Jewish mother know. This is Erica Holman. Ask your Jewish mother. Have a great day.